Hello. Hey. What's up? I just got back from the library. Ooh, I love the library. I do too. I don't go to the library enough. I don't either. I just do it all digitally. <laughs> well, it that's great. You know, that's a great use of it. But it's also really comforting, maybe only to a certain type of person, but we spent a lot of summers in the library. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's such a it's like a quiet place. Such that even like the few disturbances that happen are kind of like welcome because it's just like, oh, look, there's another person enjoying themselves here sort of thing. They're just chill people doing, you know, maybe like studying or just reading books or whatever. Like, eh, you know, I get going to library, checking stuff out. That's a useful use of it, of course. But I I don't know. I enjoy enjoy, like this concept. You see it in, in the discourse sometimes about kind of how fucked uh, (laughs) cities and stuff are in the U.S. and suburban life and stuff, but the concept of a third place, somewhere where you can be without buying stuff. Yes, we talked about that last week. Yeah, I I really want more of that. For sure. And I don't know, it was just enjoyable. I was like, I need to carve out more time to come here and enjoy being someplace, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um... (laughs) I've spent a lot of time on my patio lately and I was really annoyed because I'm like, God damn it. I am like a lot happier when I'm outside a few minutes every day. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They were right about that science. (laughs) Yeah. So if you're, you know, gaming or something and someone tells you to touch grass. It can be useful sometimes. Yeah. You know, maybe they are being a jerk, but it's not bad advice. (laughs) It's not. It's not. I like I was had a super stressful day the other day. I was like a fucking ball of nerves and I went and had a drink on my patio and like an hour later I was like leaning back and smiling like everything's great. (laughs) It's ridiculous. Yeah. One thing to keep in mind, you know, we are a communist podcast here. We're not encouraging you to take care of yourself so that you can go throw your body back into the machine of capitalism. Your boss does not deserve, you know, you at all. No. Anything that you produce for them. So don't recharge yourself for them or to make sure that your family of a company can be the best it can be. Recharge yourself to take the whole thing down, you know? That's what you should be. You should be taking care of yourself to take care of everyone else by participating in the revolution. I uh, I think I mentioned this briefly on the show, but it happened again, is I was talking to my therapist and I was talking about like the weird uh, guilt that you can get when you're kind of raised like middle class and then you move into a higher income bracket oh, and, yeah, and yeah. it's awkward and you're like, I don't know how to, you know, have money and like blah, blah, blah. And she was like, well, is there like a celebrity you admire that like is responsible with their money and like gives to good causes and blah, blah, blah. And I was like... I mean, I don't know about celebrity, but historically, I mean, you got Lennon, you got... <laughs> <laughs> I, I look up to class traders. Yeah, exactly. I just <laughs> casually explained to my therapist that Lennon was the son of a bureaucrat. and <laughs> <laughs> She's like, that's not at all the direction I was trying to go, but... <laughs> okay, okay, be careful. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Writing this down for my weekly government report. I know, right? I'm going to start practicing my, my jumping out of trains. <laughs> My eating meat, my getting buff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Dave and Dan will enjoy, you know, it's a toss up whether or not they'll read that report before they listen to this episode. I don't know their pickup schedule, you know. Those boys. But, okay, it was funny. I saw 
the phrase Dave and Dan on a tweet, and I was like, what the fuck? But it was <laughs> the in reference to the directors of Game of Thrones. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Cool. In terms of tier of boneheadery, <laughs> maybe. Yeah, I would say so. I didn't know those guys uh, were Dave and Dan. All right. I know, but it freaked me out because it was not in our like Twitter space. So I was like, what are you doing here? There's a, there's kind of a Dave's and Dan's of history thing. Well, history, a quasi history. Uh, you know, uh, David and Daniel are both prophet people ah. or, or biblical kind of figures, you know. Then you have these two Daves and Dans. Maybe there are more Daves and Dans out Send there. Send us your Dave and Dan duos. <laughs> uh, maybe they're all not great. I don't think Dave no, and sure Daniel were ones. that bad in the Bible story. I don't remember. Daniel don't was remember. in the Lion's Den, which is kind of bad. the Lion's thing, yeah. But it implies people didn't like him because he got thrown at the Lion's Den. <laughs> That's true. Not very popular. David was like the, he was the musician. He played those chords that please the Lord. But he also did the thing where he got, he deliberately sent the dude off to die mm. so that he could get with his wife. So he could not do good. a wife swoop. Yeah, that's not good. Not a good look. Mm-mm. Uh, anyway. So yeah, that's a little bit of <laughs> biblical pseudo history. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we both brought materials today. We, we put them in our little bag labeled finds from the internet. Yeah, it's one of those lottery hoppers, and we just press the little <laughs> thing, and it sucks it out. I would say, like, I like how both of us have different corners of the internet, so we find different things. <laughs> That's very important in a partnership. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I am coming to you from an account called Homo Communist, which I immediately followed on Instagram. That's great. That, yeah, that, that's They made that for you. Yeah, they essentially were like, you want this? <laughs> Um, And I learned a little bit about um, a trans woman named Charlotte von Malsdorf, who was born in 1928. Okay, so the post says, in her autobiography, Charlotte describes killing her violent Nazi father in 1944 before living life as a trans woman in East Germany after the Red Army saw her freed from prison. Very cool already. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, in 1958, she took over a decaying villa in Malsdorf, East Berlin, which she filled with antiques and turned into a museum, which is still open today, the Grunderzeit Museum. Sure, let's pretend I said that right. <laughs> uh, she also recreated an early Berlin gay bar called the Mulekritzi. Hmm, sorry, guys. Go to the post. You can read it and, <laughs> and pronounce it yourself. <laughs> Um, she recreated that bar in a basement uh, hosting parties where, quote, gays and lesbians bopped and danced like it was 1904. <laughs> nice. You know, they had the sick dances in 1904. Oh, too. that's when all the best moves were created. <laughs> <laughs> in the 1970s is a meeting point for Eastern Europe's first gay liberation group, the HIB, the Homosexual Interest Group Berlin. Um, Neo-Nazis eventually attacked the, uh, a party at the villa in 1991. After East Germany was annexed by the West, you had a big increase in violence against homosexuals and was just, there's a lot of right-wing violence in general. (laughs) Because that shit was re-legalized, essentially, you know, that that stuff was tamped completely the fuck down because those were the defeated elements in the GDR. And then when you're brought back in, your freedom comes with the freedom to be a Nazi. 
Yeah, yeah. She eventually leaves Germany to live out the rest of her life in Sweden. Uh, but yeah, there are some cool source materials that I want to check out further, but I just wanted to share this little tidbit um, first. But yeah, so she's in a couple of films, um, an East German film called Coming Out, and is a subject of a documentary called I Am My Own Woman. So yeah, the the pictures on this are really cool. They talk about you know, holding transvestite balls and that one of the kind of pioneering researchers of, of like sex change operations, uh, Dr. Magnus Hirschfield, if you've ever heard of him. No, I haven't. He would like go to those events. So like, <laughs> um, he was like one of the earliest people to like investigate this stuff. I'm not super clear on this history. So like, if I'm wrong, I'm very sorry. But I mean, something we don't talk about a lot and something I think about a lot given the climate of today, is um, a lot of the purges of Nazi Germany were of trans medical research. Whoa. Yeah. They, like, would burn things about sexuality and gender and all that stuff. The Nazis would. The Nazis would, yeah. Okay. And then finally, the last photo on this photo set is a a quote from uh, Charlotte. And she's being interviewed and says... Then we heard the wall was open and didn't believe it and weren't nearly as ecstatic as the people who interviewed us expected. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, great. We're going to go to the descendants of the people who were hunting us down, you know, in that because we, you know, we covered in that GDR episode how the, at least the intelligence apparatus and, and large parts of the leadership were former, you know, collaborators or just outright members uh, of the Nazi regime. You know, yeah. that, that was like where its descendants came from. Whereas you, you had the kind of the opposite of the denazification process and everything that East Germany went through. So yeah, I wouldn't be excited to go back to that either. No, thanks. It's a hard pass. <laughs> I don't know. To me, that flies in the face of the very misguided, you know, the, really stupid uh, move that the Soviet Union made under Stalin when we talked about how they had this view of uh, homosexuality or any sort of, you know, queerness at all being linked in some way into degeneracy, as they would call it, or this sort of like road to fascism sort of thing. It's like, well, if you look at who the fascists went after... (laughs) (laughs) You can see that this is not the case. Yeah, yeah. That's a very typical pattern for fascists to take, too, which I think we talked about in our episode, is like anything that questions a traditional structure, they're going to go after it. So pay really close attention when fascists start coming after trans people. Uh, It's not a good sign. (laughs) Yeah, and that's another thing, you know, because we see this all over the United States right now. Is they're they're going after anything that is not traditional? I mean, they're really expanding it. Oh yeah, you know? to the point where you know they're going to start policing just women on how they dress. You know. Yeah, or girls in school about what they say about their periods. Like this is that's not. You can't even say that's anything in the queer spectrum, even if you're someone who thinks that you should be going after that, which you shouldn't. But like, it's just expanding so so much. The Florida thing with the. I remember they had the don't say gay bill, but they were like, it's okay because this is only like for little kids and they should not be talking about this because that's not traditional or whatever. Well, they're expanding it to every, you know, all the 
uh, grade levels, like K through 12 now, instead of just the little kids. And they're like, what? Well, you know, you shouldn't do it there either. And they're just going to keep doing that. They're also taking out books that are, this is in Florida, all discussions of gender and race, um, to the and point race. where I'm, race, I'm, I'm doing a book panel with one of these people that, that got their book banned. And it's a book about like dumplings and like Chinese tradition. Wow. Because it's not white. That's, that's essentially why they got banned. Yeah, I saw, I want to, I don't remember if it was in the Times or where it was, but they were showing three different copies, three different like versions that this textbook had uh, for, that was trying to get approved in Florida. Uh, three different versions of the Rosa Parks story, a little blur. Oh, though, that's right. Know? And eventually it's just like, she, it just doesn't mention race at all. Yeah, it was like certain groups of people couldn't ride on the bus. It just like doesn't say. (laughs) No. What is this story like? (laughs) It just sounds like she just just, was tired and like didn't give up a seat for no reason. Yeah, they're like a high elf came onto the bus. (laughs) They they were supposed to sit there. What groups of people are we talking about? Uh, Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You'll you'll always risk going out into the world and saying talking about stuff like this and linking it to fascism and people will say oh come on no one's walking around in a brown shirt or doing silly salutes or you know sporting ugly mustache and no one's doing any of the really fascist stuff no one's technically being a nazi <laughs> they, some first off they are some of them <laughs> sure yeah it's, i think that that's still fairly comfortably fringe and people are apt to distance themselves you know in a way that is sort of heartening but uh, there's, a, there's a famous quote, and I forget who it's attributed to, but the gist of it is when a fascist movement is taking root and actually gaining strength in the U.S., they're not going to be like, yo, we're like the fascists from like back in the 40s, you know? They're, it's going to look different. Yeah, they're smarter than that. Yeah. And it's, it's you know, the, the ones in the know are smart enough to give your enemies credit, you know? They're, they're smart enough to realize, hey, we should remain like, a separate group that's like worse, you know, and, and assholes so that the ones that are doing kind of what we want can get away with it you know? yeah. and they can say, Oh, we're not them. And they're going to have different symbols. They're going to, you know, rely on this traditionalism. They're going to rely on, you know, religious conservatism, that sort of thing. And yeah, you'll look a little crazy and people will be like, Oh, pfft, come on, fascists. We don't see that. But like, it, I don't know. To me, it's it's help. It would be more helpful if people could accept nuance of like this is fascist like, like this is fascistic, similar to what they would do. It's not an organized program, maybe, but like it's bad. We can agree that it's kind of like what they would like, and that's not good. Yeah, it's it's gonna be a quiet takeover. It's not like a we're they're gonna come out one day and say yeah we're the fascist party because like that's a bad idea. <laughs> right. They can come up with whatever. They can just use an established party if they want, or they can create their own new thing. It's like, oh, this is Americanism or whatever, you know? We have talked sometimes about rebranding the communist thing and say, oh, (laughs) what if we kind of cloak it? They can do the same thing. Yeah, totally, totally. What's the documentary called that you said? Um, It's called I Am My Own Woman, and it was in 1992, so. Okay, I'll have to check that out at some point. Yeah recommendation to you guys even though i haven't seen it i haven't seen it maybe it's bad it's probably cool though (laughs) these screenshots made it look cool nice what do you got for me what's in your internet bag 
Oh, there's a lot. I actually had kind of a heartening moment where that's my word of the podcast today, heartening. I've used it twice now. <laughs> one way to call it out. Yeah. Well, it's kind of a cool moment because I've been, you know, it's like, oh, we're doing shooting the shit. I'm going to kind of track articles that I like or that I want to blast on the podcast or whatever, right? So I did that with a couple of different ones. And I actually developed a substantial enough list to where this does not negatively impact us. But a couple of the ones that I picked were discussed on other pods that I follow. Ah. And I was like, oh, that's, you know, it's kind of cool because I picked the you same picked the ones, good ones they did. So, yeah, I've got a good <laughs> eye for this. I didn't want to rehash old territory, you know, by the, especially by the time we release, you know, maybe it's a little later. One was about, uh, you may have encountered this too, about uh, is working from home really working? Oh my, we're still doing those articles? Yeah. We haven't this, given up? This asshole, Stephen Ratner. Fuck that was guy. like. Or, you know, these people aren't working as hard and bosses don't like that they can't supervise them, basically. It was just stupid. That's going to make fun of him. Uh, and there was another one. The one about uh, Brett Stevens saying that he doesn't regret supporting the Iraq war. <laughs> it's just a completely unhinged shake at this point in yeah. 2023. That's like someone saying they don't regret supporting the Vietnam war. Yeah. It's well, that's that's one that I kind of wanted to bring up, too, because someone else basically did that mm-hmm. or in my opinion. So uh, this person, a uh, an asshat by the name of Ross Daltat. Mm-hmm. He's a New York Times opinion columnist. Cool. Wrote sounds, an article that good. says. Was Iraq a worse disaster for America than Vietnam? What does this guy have to say about that? <laughs> I, I'm not thrilled about either answer, honestly. <laughs> it's uh, okay. To me, it's just unfathomable that you can consider the Vietnam War, consider the Iraq War, primarily from the perspective of the damage it does to America. It'd be yeah. like if you were watching one of the Marvel movies and you're like, damn, like this looks like it was really hard on freaking Thanos, you know, <laughs> like his, his thumbs looked a little bruised from snapping his fingers and turning all the people to dust. Like, I don't know <laughs> if that was a good idea for him. Yeah. You just can't talk about those, either of those without talking about just the mass killing on the oh, other side. He does a little bit. Oh, yeah. Says, oh, the bloodletting among Iraqis was terrible, but so was the civilian toll in Southeast Asia. That's like about it. Uh, That's it. One sentence to, you know, burning down villages and fucking firebombing. And... Yeah. Who was doing the bloodletting in either of those cases? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That makes it sound like they just did it on their own. It just happened. <laughs> it, it, oh, irrespective of anything. It was just, it just, whoa, hey, there was bloodletting. Ridiculous. It, it was just there. People just start gushing. The, the best part about this art because you know, this is really no one should read this it's this should be if if you should <laughs> ban anything trouble. yeah you shouldn't ban books that discuss gender right you should just ban this just, <laughs> just ban this. this one guy i think we're fine and that's it yeah what i love about this article you know he says oh there's other you know social ills that came about from each one or whatever but the the worst thing seems to be to him it's negative political impact. 
Wow. In our political coalitions, these disillusioning effects look even more substantial and permanent than they appeared in 2010 or 2015. Ever since the war discredited and helped dissolve the hawkish center-left, nobody has been able to reconstitute a strong centrist faction within liberalism. That's the greatest tragedy of, right. of war. I wish we just had that strong centri- <laughs> centrist faction within liberalism. <laughs> what we need are the hawkish Democrats to come back. Oh, God. That would really help. What a tragedy. Yeah. Don't worry about the millions of people that got martyred. Let's, let's talk about some imaginary game that we all play. Yeah. Like, and how would that make anything in anyone's life any better no. at all? No, zero percent. <laughs> so I really didn't read the entire thing because it just got... It sounds awful. Stupider. Yeah. So I <laughs> uh, just appreciated the the inability of American Empire for all that it'll look inward on itself and say oh did we make the right moves it never thinks about like the people it trods upon any further than just to kind of give them a sentence you know no no it's all about American lives right yeah it's how did it make us feel how did it make our soldiers feel and so and you know I guess on a human level somewhat that's acceptable to grapple with but it just should not be the main part of the story when your side is the bad side in it. Like you're the one going in there and fucking things up and say, Oh man, this may, this hurt my feelings destroying these people. Good. It should. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be concerned if it didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Let's maybe write more than one sentence about it. Uh, on a brighter front in news, the Los Angeles unified school district, uh, agreed to pay, they're like workers, not the teachers more, but like the workers, uh, people who were support workers, janitors, custodians, uh, bus drivers, all these guys had, had done it. They did a three day strike Ooh. last week and they had to cancel classes. Teachers, <gasps> uh, their union said, hey, we'll walk out. Don't cross a picket line. Fuck yes. So they went out on the picket line with them uh, and they shut down the schools there. For the strike, I think they opened some of them on Friday, but uh, by that point they were sitting down and negotiating, and they agreed to set a higher minimum wage of twenty-two fifty an hour, uh, giving a one-time thousand-dollar bonus, and giving a three million-dollar educational and professional development fund for union members. So they were, you know, they they gave a lot, they gave into their demands a lot. I think it still had to be ratified by the union, so it wasn't set in stone but the union said hey this this met our demand that's amazing i love that solidarity too with the teachers good job yeah and hell i hope more people catch on to this and start doing this it kind of works sometimes yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) when it works it's really cool right and you know we recently had sort of a defeat uh, although i think it's still up in the air maybe in france you know, they they passed that thing through. They said, "Whatever, we're gonna, Fuck. we're not even holding a vote." You know, we're just gonna Fuck do it. Off. Oh they my lost God. the the no confidence vote. They lost that by like seven. Uh, but people are. I mean, the the garbage trucks were dumping garbage outside of politicians' homes <laughs> to rad. drive home the point. You know, and maybe they'll succeed in pushing another no confidence vote or something. I don't really know what the road forward is, but. Jesus. It isn't through laying down and taking it. 
It's really not. And I don't know. Best of luck to them. For sure. Yeah. Stand strong. If you're listening from France, uh, stay safe as you can. But, you know, do what you can, too. My other tidbit that I brought, the only other one, is uh, a comic strip that I really enjoy. It's one of the highlights of my Twitter feeds. It's called Jutsika. Um, I looked up a pronunciation, so hopefully that's close. Uh, It's spelled J-U-C-I-K-A. And it is a Hungarian comic strip that ran from 1957 to 1970 by uh, Paul Pust... Oh, gosh, I didn't look up his name, did I? Paul Pustai? Um, (laughs) Sorry. And, um, but yeah, the, the account Jutsika Daily is... A really fun one to follow um, if you're still in the hellhole that is Twitter. Um, it's a nice <laughs> break. <laughs> but I like it just because it shows like a, you know, an Eastern Bloc country during that specific time period. And like, we'll sometimes make jokes about like, oh, the, the state employee office. But mostly it's just like very regular slice of life stuff. It's also a mildly horny comic. There's lots of situations where she gets her clothes taken off just like the wind or, you know, just, or she does it herself. Like she's very, very horny all the time. And it's it's really beautiful, um, but yeah, it's it's not like directly up our alley. I just enjoy those little hints of what what life was like then. Yeah, it's cool to see that it's not a you know the the typical drab gray barracks communism caricature that we get in in Western countries that are like oh look at how bad any sort of Eastern European socialist state was. No, she seems pretty happy. Like, she she has a nice life. (laughs) Yeah. And people, you know, got to enjoy sort of the, like you said, it kind of shows people going about their day-to-day life sort of thing. Like, that was reality for a lot of people, you know? And it wasn't this weird sort of drab, dull, boringness, work all the time sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. It's just a lot of her just, like, doing different jobs and, like silly gags of going out on dates and stuff like that and like it looks nice like she's dressed nicely and like having fun and like she has a television in her house like i don't know it just it is refreshingly normal for for that kind of depiction and you know this was contemporary to the time so like this guy like lived there and made work about it so that's just really cool for sure yeah shout out to our hungarian crew it's a good strip. I recommend it. It's very funny. Like, I, I love it, too. I'm just a comics nerd. So I love seeing how much I can pick up without because sometimes there's labels and titles. There's always a title. And then sometimes there's additional labels um, in, you know, Polish. And so <laughs> I like to see how much I can get without. Just with the visuals. Yeah. But there is a fucking amazing trooper who after every post, this is not like the person who runs the account. This is a separate person who comes in mm. and provides translations. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, so if there is an inside joke, you will eventually get it. So you said it's it's sort of a it's so more of an adult uh, comic. Yes, I think so. But it like ran in lots of magazines. So oh, the list of magazines was actually pretty cool. Workers Magazine, uh, Country World, Women's Magazine, Illustrated Hungary, and Fuels. I don't know what that is. Nice. I would I would subscribe to the Workers Magazine. That's Absolutely. <laughs> Some things, you know, are for adults. Some things are for kids. We're starting, however, to blur the line, I think, uh, between those two in the United States. In various states, I saw this uh, article that was talking about, and so I was just investigating further, that lots of states are, or several states, I should say, about 10 
one of the big news items lately was that Arkansas was doing this, but nine other states are passing bills to uh, weaken child labor protections. Fuck. Oh, my gosh. What are we doing, guys? So... You know, back in like the early 1900s, people were like, what if we didn't have kids working in factories and <laughs> selling newspapers on the streets and oh. all this stuff? Mm-hmm. And they passed, you know, well, labor unions went on strikes and uh, people did protests and stuff and forced the government to pass these reforms. Now we don't know if we need these all anymore. Uh, so, like, I've heard rumblings of this issue, not, like, recently and not, you know, about, I guess, about this latest crop, but I, the way it is portrayed from the other side is always like, well, if you're in a family business and you want your kid to work with you, it should be fine. Like, it's always these super bad faith, you know, disingenuous examples of, like, what about this one kid who likes mowing lawns? <laughs> right, yeah, like the government's coming after the lemonade stand or something? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's not what we're talking about. Uh, there was a fairly recent uh, expose in the New York Times about uh, undocumented uh, teens uh, working in factories all over the United States. So most of the time they were working for people who worked for like companies who were like subsidiaries contracted to work for major companies. One of these companies, for example, was Hearthside Food Solutions, uh, which is like a food processing uh, plant, a food contractor uh, that, for example, packed bags of Lucky Charms and Cheetos, uh, tended giant ovens to make Chewy bars and Nature Valley granola bars, all these things. Or uh, they were also working in like auto plant auto part plants Jesus. and stuff like this. Like real ass, not mom and pop oriented no. things. A giant factory. Yeah. Uh, but they, these kids were, you know, 14, 15, 13. God. Uh, underage. Yeah. Right. And rather than kind of take the normal human reaction of, let's have a big crackdown on companies that are doing this. Uh, do you see that several states are instead saying, let's make it easier for companies to not necessarily do this, but make it easier for them to employ minors in general. Like, let's roll it back. Jesus Christ. And they're, they were undocumented, too. So, like, that's got to be an exploitative position. Oh, yeah. And the government doesn't have enough enough of an interest in the problem, enough people to send to investigate the problem. So they're, it's just not being enforced. Jesus you know? Christ. When people point it out, they'll be like, oh, yeah, 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 we didn't, we, we had no idea. We've taken care of the problem, you know, look, but that, it's that's always what. reactive. Yeah. They deliberately don't go check on this stuff. And then if, yeah, you ease up the laws, then it's going to be even worse. Yeah. Jesus. And, and so the, you know, one of the recent ones that was a big deal that, that already passed was in Arkansas. They, passed a law to eliminate age verification and a thing that required parents and guardians to give permission for kids to work. Uh, I think once they're 14, usually you have to get your parents permission to 
to work and it, it's limited in terms of what you can do and stuff like that. That permission thing was taken away. So once Jesus. you're of that age, you can just go do that. So that was one that was passed. Iowa also had some as well. Uh, they had one that did already pass that lowered the minimum age of child care workers and reduced uh, the staff to child ratios. I guess you can care for more children in that position or something. But they're trying to pass one. They've recently introduced one that's pretty onerous seeming. Uh, it lifts restrictions on hazardous work to allow children as young as 14 to work in Whoa. meat coolers and industrial Whoa. laundries. Those are some really dangerous jobs. Yeah, like I would not want to go do that job now. No. It also allows teens as young as 15 to work on assembly lines and 16 and 17 year olds to serve alcohol. <laughs> oh, I guess in restaurants or something. Yeah, no, not a problem. Mm -mm. <laughs> Get up to whatever you want in, in the back of house. <laughs> back. That should be fine. God. <laughs> it extends work hours as well. 14 year olds to 15 year olds will be able to drive themselves up to 50 miles to and from work Whoa. between 5 a.m. and 10 p.m. Those are the working hours. Nice lunch pail situation there. You're really, really clocking in, practicing your blue collar experience, I guess. These are fucking children. Oh, also, the uh, they can waive the restrictions that are in place that say like, oh, you can't, you know, be a lumberjack or you can't go do something very dangerous, right? Okay. Uh, you can waive those restrictions. Like those two restrictions are still in place. But if the workplace is uh, giving this kid that job as part of a, quote, work-based learning program, like an apprenticeship or something. Fuck that. Then you can waive that, that requirement or whatever. So I wonder how many of these businesses are just saying, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. This is a workplace training program. <laughs> and just let them, you know. Let them just go back to child labor. Yeah, those are that's a dangerous fucking job. Like that that comes with a lot of injuries. Yeah, and <sighs> how are they going to be? You know, because I mean they have hours restrictions or whatever. But how are they going to be like doing this part time or what, working till ten p.m. and then doing fine in school still? There's no fucking way. It's wild. These kids will drop out. Okay, let's talk a little bit about like. The whys and hows of this, like, okay, this happened because, I mean, you had kids who were desperate enough to go get these jobs, and you will still have them, so there's that. Mm -hmm. And since they're undocumented, they're willing to take whatever they can get, and they're probably trying to support their families, like, you already have the economic pressure on the families. Yeah. And that's in, you know, in certain situations, because that, that, that article was focusing on undocumented people in that situation, undocumented minors in that situation. Whereas these labor laws just apply to everyone. So you will have people with the added oppression of being undocumented in the United States, which tries to make life actively harder for people without mm -hmm. documentation. But you will also have people without that particular oppression, but with still like the being a member of the proletariat. Yes. Or worse, the like precarious class of, uh, I forget the portmanteau that they came up with, with, but it's, you know, 
the precarious proletariat of, of maybe you don't even have the stability of having a working class job at all, like your parents, rather. You know? Yeah, yeah. So, like, on that's what's happening on, on that side, I guess, the supply side of this job market. And then the the businesses, like, I mean, they're, they're probably getting away with pay, paying these kids a lot cheaper, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, they'll have to follow technical minimum wage laws, I think. But if you're, I mean, especially if you're talking about the serving alcohol in food establishments parts, they don't have to abide by any Mm-mm. minimum wage standards. They technically have to pay people minimum wage over their hours like they're supposed to do that. Um, but basically, they just make them scrounge for tips and... If that comes out to enough, then they, they're like, yeah, sure, you got minimum wage, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then I'm wondering, too, like those fucking apprenticeship programs, like if they're going to rip them off there, too. Oh, yeah. I would be astounded if more than 30% of those were legitimate in terms of, oh, yeah, you're going to be, you know, you're really learning a trade here, bud. <laughs> you know? There's no way. There's no way. It's, you might it's learn a trade be... in the sense of like, yeah, you get to keep doing this once you're 18, but that's not exactly, I don't know. To me, it would be that there, there are vocations that have like apprenticeship things built in and like yeah, being an electrician, being a plumber, totally. doing, you know, I don't know if things like HVAC training take, but like there are things that like need a period of dedicated training before you can do the thing and not like on the job training necessarily you know that that seems like a different distinction no i think i think you're right like there absolutely are there there is a reason for that like you it's or like carpentry or something yeah like you have to get certified certified in a lot of those areas yeah maybe certification is, is the word or the category i'm looking for but i'm i would bet that most of these are not going to be any different from you could apply at 18 and maybe you'd have like, you know, a little like a week of learning it on the job and then doing it like there's no di- and they're going to still call that, though, an apprenticeship thing that, oh, we somehow need the kid when he's 14 to train him to do this thing at 18. Like, come on. <laughs> and then are they trying to put him in a union or anything? You know, because I mean, <laughs> if you're an electrician, maybe you can get into the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers or something like that. But. Are they going to try to unionize? No, they're not. No. This is like, this is, this is uh, capitalism. Just finding another gear between which to grind the working class. Yeah. Yeah. And like one thing I think you can say, okay, these kids should be, you know, in school. And like, obviously I agree with that. But I, I think when it comes to kids and like, if, if you've been around education and the way that people talk about kids and aptitudes and things like that is they'll often say like, well, we want everyone to go to college or if they're not suited for college, we want them to get them into like a vocation training, blah, 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 blah. But you see quickly, like one, a lot of the factors in like dividing kids up by, you know, what they think they should do is not great. (laughs) But also just the fact that like, not everyone can go to college. Not everyone should have to go to college. Like even like best case scenario, every single student, you know, that graduates from X high school goes to college. Like what now, what the fuck are you going to do? Like that doesn't guarantee you a job. That doesn't guarantee you anything. Like the, the real issue is that like, there's a complete lack of power with the majority of workers in this country. And, 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 you know, it doesn't matter which path you take as a teenager. Like it's going to be a struggle unless you have some, some money behind you. (laughs) 
Yeah, and it's going to be an, an unfair struggle because the people with the money are going to win and you're going to lose. Like, do you think the, the fucking rich kids are going to go drive 50 miles to go work from fucking 9 to 10 p.m.? There's no fucking way. Right. And they, you know, they, what are they going to do? They're going to go to college to get a job, right? But they're not going to college to get a job and, and like, going to college to, like, increase their merit, increase their abilities to outcompete you. They're paying for a very nice piece of paper. <laughs> from a prestigious place with a an acclaimed network of alumni that they can network with and that they can then get into the real jobs you know from our point of view i I suppose it would be the the dark side like the polar opposite of what we would consider real job because it's it's not that in terms of producing for people (laughs) yeah but the real jobs in the capitalist sense of doing what really capitalism is about is making money from nothing uh, in terms of nothing that you're doing, but making the money, money trick. <laughs> yeah. Making money from other people doing work. Exactly. Yeah. Doing the money trick. <laughs> uh, that's the real, you know, the real job there is owning capital. Yeah. That's when you get the white collar. That's, that's when you get the, the big salary, the, oh God. <laughs> and it's so perverse. And you know, you, you can... I think <laughs> to me, it's always funny when you're reading old Marx and Engels, classic stuff like that. And Lenin, and you, you get this, sometimes it comes across in humor and sometimes it comes across in screeds, but you get this rage at the heart of it, right? They're just so pissed off and and it just bleeds through like it, it you know, hundred years later, you're still like, damn, like they, they were, they were fucking on one, you know? <laughs> and you, understand why because it's just so twisted so perverse so completely the opposite of what any sane society would do to have the people not doing the work rewarded the most and and punishing everyone else for producing things that everyone agrees we need services goods whatever you you know whatever department we're not being workerist about it and saying oh only you're producing sprockets you're good but if you're waiting tables you're not like no it's all of that we all agree that's very necessary for society but that's the you know that's the group of people we shit on and say like oh you should have gone to get a real job where you know the quote-unquote real job where you make other people do that shit instead Instead of looking at this and saying, hold on, why are 14-year-olds feeling a financial pressure to provide their family? What's going on at home? Do we need to provide more support for these families? Blah, blah, blah. We're, we're making the depraved case of, yeah, fucking yeah, come on in. <laughs> right. And another thing I would add, because this, this almost maybe cuts into or against this argument a little bit, but it, to me, it more reframes it is kids should have the opportunity to work more in their teenage years, but not as part of like an actual job trying to impress a boss. They shouldn't give a fuck what their boss thinks. No, if you actually like want to do some sort of vocational training, sure, but that shouldn't be in an environment where you could get fired. Yeah, like kids honestly would benefit, I think, from doing more of like we were mentioning before the East East Germany and, and like, one of the things we talked about in their episode was their vocational training kind of integrated into their educational system. And the point of that is not to exploit 
the work of the kids. Although, you know, in any market system, you're going to end up with a degree of that. But that would be like a byproduct, sort of a, a an accident of the system. The main thing being kids getting the chance to explore different career opportunities, say one semester or one half of the semester, they want to practice doing this one thing. Maybe I'll like it. Maybe I won't. And they're not worried about like, oh, I met the quota. I did the thing. You know, the boss likes me. That's this is not what they're after. They're after the experience of it and trying it out and seeing if it they want to keep working at it and, you know, you know, uh, learning more aspects of it or if they want to go they're like, wow, that's not it. You know, I thought forestry might be kind of cool, but no, like I, I would rather do botany or something else. You know, there's all sorts of shit that they could try out in a rational sensible socialist communist society that uh you know doesn't get done if you're focused on profit yeah yeah that's the thing like we i think we talked about this in a couple episodes when we talk about kids and and you know the the future utopia it's like yeah work is respected and we would expect kids to pitch in 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 whatever ways they're able but like within reason like you you are still allowed to be a child but like yeah, you should probably do your time in the community garden. You should, you know, help pick up trash or whatever it is that is an established, you know, chore, so to speak. But it's a chore. It's not a job. It's not a it's not a threatening. Like, if you don't do this, you'll be out in the fucking streets. Thing. Yeah, it's not for survival. It's, in fact, to improve you and like to give you the chance to figure out what different types of things, hopefully what multiple different fields are you interested mm-hmm. in, you know? Yeah. And oh, to cultivate your interest in it. Because <laughs> another thing we have to, you know, we're going to be looking to do as part of the commune or whatever, you know, thing we end up with is moving past this notion of having a career. Oh, yeah. That yeah. you're locked into, that this this is all I can do. Because how many, I don't know, if... I wonder, actually, if you're like me in this circumstance in any way where I, I'm i just like watching a documentary or I'm reading something and I'm like, damn, it'd be kind of cool to like be a physicist or something. Or <laughs> just something like that is completely unrealistic. Like, oh, I, yeah. how could I go back and get all these credentials and all this sort of stuff? But I, I have this thought multiple times a week of in various different, just completely <laughs> outlandish fields for it. But it would be totally cool if people were, you know, freer, as Mark said, to do literary criticism for part of the day and hunt and fish for part of the day and all this, you know? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I am often frustrated by how little time there is to do all the things I want to do. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. It's just what a fucking world where where this can happen. And, and, and remember, the jobs that are, you know, the companies that are doing this I mean, yeah, that they're we've called them depraved several times in this segment, but they're also doing it because if they don't, their competitors will, and like they are incentivized to hire the cheapest labor they can. Yeah, and I really love the time story on this because it did investigate to the level that found like, okay, sure, it wasn't actually like Cheerios and you know the actual brands themselves, or it wasn't literally Ford and General Motors; it was their suppliers. It's that pressure that we're saying, you know, oh, it's not these companies being evil. Well, it's not even really the supplier companies being evil because <laughs> someone else is going to get that mm-hmm. cut of it, you know. And it's not them being, I should say, uniquely evil because it is an evil choice to say, well, I'm going to, you know, fuck everyone else. I'm going to cut this corner so I can get the advantage. And sure, I'm going to 
oppress a few kids, but whatever. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's that's still bad. You could not it's make still that bad. Choice. Don't don't get me wrong. <laughs> sure. But then someone else is gonna make that choice too, because there's just there's there's so much there, there's so many options. You know, it's why you can buy all the seventy six different brands of toothpastes or whatever. Because we have all these options, and all those options mean there's always going to be somebody willing to do the dirty work that you won't. Hey, I remembered something that was on my list, but I forgot to write it down. Ooh, what is it? Secret new thing. It, it feeds into into what we're talking about, about, about jobs and kind of hustle culture. Uh, I watched a clip recently of Steve Harvey. We were watching Family Feud mm, in a okay. hotel room, and, yeah. and Kyle's like, have you heard this shit about Steve Harvey? And sent me this insane video. And he's like giving a, a speech, like kind of a motivational speech or whatever. And he has his, his, what is it called? Uh, dope ass suit. He does, he does have, he's a snappy dresser. He's, yeah, he's always on point. Okay, he has what's called the 10 by 10 theory. Oh, okay. It's just, just some sort of business Yeah, person. yeah. Okay, well, what, what do we got, 10 by 10? Okay, so he says, well, we all want to be millionaires, right? So like... Everyone here wants to do that. Okay, I'm going to tell you right now how to make a million dollars. And everyone's like, woo, yeah. And um, he says, okay, find the thing that you do best. I don't care what it is. If it's babysitting or making chicken or, you know, drawing a picture or whatever it is. Find, like, everyone has a gift. God gave everyone a gift. So, like, go find that thing. And I'm like, first off, (laughs) I don't know if that's true, but okay. Yeah, somebody's, like, uh, beating it. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) real good at sleeping. Yeah. So find the thing you do best. And then if you can get someone to pay you $10 to do that thing, do go out and do that thing 10 times. Okay. Okay. So you've made $100. Yeah. Now you want to know what you do next? You pay someone else to do it instead? or No, you do it 10 more times. Okay. And you just keep saying it over and over. You just keep... Working? You just you just keep doing it ten more times, and eventually he does he does have a throwaway line of like I don't care how you do it if you got to hire someone to help you out then sure and I'm like okay so I think you cut into your profits already one we haven't talked about supplies no <laughs> Two, that's that's the actual secret okay go that's ahead. the actual secret like he should have yeah like, one of the whole things with and then you hire people and you go away yeah like but no he just give that a throwaway line <laughs> that is always if you if you you know will throw yourself don't don't do this first of all don't do it don't do it it's a bad idea for first off it doesn't make any fucking sense yeah like that's assuming you can always find an audience that's assuming you are getting your supplies at zero cost that's assuming you're playing paying your employees zero dollars don't do this don't do this thing (laughs) (laughs) yeah but i mean also don't dive into any of the like business self-help type people oh no (laughs) don't do it but but if you were to hypothetically you would end up seeing that once you get past the intro, sort of like, be better, be motivated, whatever, mm-hmm. what they will guide you back around to. There was this book about like, oh, uh, living a very leisurely life or something. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh, you can like retire, you know, in five, 10 years or something. What you boil it down to is hiring other people to do your work for you. Yeah. Yeah. That's all it is. <laughs> that's what they will get around to saying eventually after like the initial fluff kind of weeds out people who are just looking for a you know a quick little boost and you get down to the actual 
later stages, once you've, you know, dug yourself out of whatever whole capitalism has put you in, <laughs> then you end up and it's like, okay, so now you've got a little bit, right? You got a little bit. Now you're ready to play the next level of the, the real game, which is leeching off of someone else's labor. <laughs> no, that is what, all these things. All the people who are like, oh, I'm going to flip houses. Like, guess what? You're, you know, that's what you're doing too. Or I'm going to, you know, become a landlord or all these get rich quick schemes. Like they all come down to like, let's find ways to exploit people. Yeah. They have a lovely term for that now for landlordism and other forms of leechery. They call it passive income. Mm, yes. Yes. I've heard that thrown around a lot. And you know, if you ever, if the algorithm ever mistakenly gives you one of these, cause I, <laughs> I weed these things out really quick. Oh, you know? yeah. But some, some assholes talking about, for me, usually they're doing like a live thing or something. I'm like, oh, fuck. Okay. I, I know what you're about. But um, it's like they're just saying, saying something about like how they're building wealth or something like that. And it's like, oh, yeah. And then you, <sighs> you set that up for like passive income or it's always <sighs> some bro, right? And Yeah, yeah, totally. That's landlordism. Is that's that landlordism. Don't get tricked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You don't want to get do on, that. Yeah. You don't want to be on Chairman Mal's chopping block. Uh, landlords, we, we already carved out the exception for vacation rentals. Uh, it's not great for the overall market, I will it's say. It's not. It's not. Like, I. yeah, there's. it definitely pushes people out of their homes. But if it's a very touristy area that, like, has no other re- no one is trying to live there, which is rare because even touristy areas have service workers and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I would say it's not as bad. It's not as perhaps. it's a spectrum is the thing. Like yeah, yeah if if it if it is genuinely a vacation home you don't use ninety percent of the year, yeah, you probably should like rent that out just because like otherwise it's just sitting there, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's true. But if you rely on that as your primary form of income and you like make someone's life a living hell over it, probably not great. Right. That's being a landlord. But I would say yeah, I would stick to our earlier carve out of that. It's a it's a scale. It's a scale. <laughs> yeah. Um if you're owning a giant management company, that's on the bad end of the scale. Right. You fucked up. Yeah. And <laughs> it was funny. I was, I was talking to Abby the other day and she was like, you know, I think you've corrupted me or you've influenced me. I don't remember how she put it exactly, but <laughs> to more and more like instinctively side with the workers, you know, or, or instinctively side with poor people with the downtrodden, this sort of thing. Yeah, totally. And... It got me thinking because I've seen this in leftist circles anyway, uh, or communist circles, that one should not try to focus on like there being a proletarian identity in in terms of like a, what they what they mean is like mm, there being sort of like lifestyle indicators. Like it's not like about consuming certain things and stuff, which I get, you know. But you should, I think, cultivate a proletarian sort of morality of like workers are good or like the working class, not necessarily to be workerist about it, but like the working class or the non-capitalists are good and you should strive to, you know, promote them versus the capitalists who are in some way like bad or depraved. Like, I think that's an easy way to be able to analyze things as they come up in the world and like, well, that guy's, you know, making money off of other people in some, maybe they're a good person in some ways, but in one way they're not right. And and that's not a good thing to be doing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's, 
that's something I've been thinking about a lot too, is like looking at, okay, who's actually exploiting someone who's, who actually like is, you know, owns the media production and is making that worse for everybody mm-hmm. versus like who just like gets paid well, <laughs> you know? Yeah. That's, that's the real heart of it. And you can end up in all sorts of gray areas, which we've explored. It's, again, it points, is a spectrum you know? for sure. Yeah. If you're a fucking lap dog for the boss, then like, yeah, that's not great. Right. Or you're working class because you don't make a lot of money, but you make that money as a cop. Yeah, that's also bad. Right. You're doing like class trader stuff, but in the bad way, right? You're working directly as a thug for capital. And that's, you know, that's a different thing. And, you know, we've we've talked a lot too over the years. Is is it kind of crazy to hear that sometimes of like It is. God. Doing this it's going to be now? it'll be 3 years in June. It's wild. Oh my god. That's nuts. <laughs> But, you know, over the years we've talked about how it's not, you know, a primarily like a savior soul sort of thing. Do the right things, avoid doing the wrong things and eventually communism. But I do think that sort of in the in the in the way the Mao would put it, like to fight for the cause, you do sort of have to work on yourself to be effective at it. Like, if you just want to, like, believe the right things and be on the right side and look at the world with the right lens, that doesn't require any morality whatsoever. No, no. You can do whatever the fuck you want on the side. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I think. But, like, if you want to really be active and, and fighting for it, I think you sort of have to work on maintaining yourself, not in a, in a completely pure sense, but... Yeah. You don't have to, like, throw away all your money and become a monk. Right. Yeah. It's not that ascetic or anything, but <laughs> you still sort of have to materially align yourself with the people you're fighting for. I mean, but not on the other hand, there are exceptions. I mean, Engels, you know, own factories and shit. So like he was another one I brought up to my therapist. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't think the rule is hard and fast, but I think for the vast majority of people, maybe it's best if you avoid things that are avoidable, maybe, but things Mm -hmm. that, uh, taint you or are likely to corrupt you to the side of seeing things more from the capitalist lens maybe is the best way to put it that is a really good way to put it because so like i'm in in a white collar job and like i get paid pretty well and like whatever i think the difference between that and me saying okay well i'm gonna go now open a business or something and and try to make that you know some passive income (laughs) you are now incentivized to think like a capitalist because you you are doing capitalist acts you are, you are now like seeing other people as an obstacle to you getting more passive income. Right. And what is good for your industry that you're now a part of is good for you. So you want things to, unless you're very saintly, you want things <laughs> to be good for the rental industry and not good for tenants. And the difference between that and, and you know, working at you know just a, a white collar job where you are not the owner you are still a worker it, it's a degree you're definitely a more privileged worker you probably have better benefits although that is rapidly changing <laughs> yeah you know you probably have a lot of perks but at the same time you are still a worker you still don't own the means of production and like you saying well i quit because this is too much money to have isn't really going to do any good so it it's I think the responsibility does then become about like, okay, 
I have more money and I have more privilege. How do I then use, honestly, the, the thing that comes more like when you get more money is time. Then you say, okay, well, how can I use this time to be useful? Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's the ultimate luxury, honestly, as a human. Truly, truly. we all end up with the same mostly sub hundred <laughs> years to work with, you know? <laughs> yeah. And rich people get to get to export that out on other people. <laughs> yeah. And that's the true, you know, as, as Marx would put it, he loved the Gothic imagery. That's the true vampiric element of, of, uh, capitalism is this just leech leeching of actual life force of like, I'm going to rent you for this amount of time and you're going to give me your life essence and time that you would otherwise enjoy with your loved ones or by yourself, with your community, Walking on God's earth, the grass between your toes, a happy <laughs> person. Now you're working for me and I'm going to take that benefit and, and go, go be do that happy things. person on your behalf. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Truly. Okay. I know we have more things on the list, but I have a question. Oh yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. So I've seen this graphic floating around a couple of times. It's the one that like talks about the different kinds of theft and how common they are. Oh, <laughs> Yeah. Can you explain wage theft to me? Like, what is it? What are examples of it? Stuff like that. Uh, so wage theft comes in a lot of ways. Wage theft can be outright and systematic of like, we're going to, let's say, workers are supposed to take a break at a certain time. You never tell your workers that and you just <gasps> roll them through. And no one ever knows. No one's checking the labor laws. You do have the one OSHA poster <laughs> posted in your break room. That we all read at some point when we get right, but it's in very fine print, and no one ever reads it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. No one ever understands it if they do read it when they're very bored. Yeah, yeah, it's super legalese. It just rolls through, and so you exploit them that many uh, minutes for you know each each and every worker that you're doing this to. Over (laughs) now, just do that ten times, you'll be a millionaire. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Steve Harvey would say this is great. This adds up really quickly. Fine, Uh, but that you know that's. That's one small example. There's uh, having people, uh, when, when you tell people, hey, you know, you have to be here ready for your job on time. So I need you to get here 15 minutes early so that you're ready for work, right? On time. You make this a quote unquote requirement. And then you say, yeah, 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 hey, but like you, you need to clock in when you're supposed to clock in. You just are supposed to be here 15 minutes oh early. Oh my God. Okay. Yeah. That's some people theft. will do this and you know, I mean, credit to traffic and generational stuff much, but I think that Gen Z and further are, are more aware of, are more comfortable in general with pushing back on this and saying like, I'm going to be here when I clock in and I'm not going to be here before that, you know, like they're not going to work for free, but lots of people will, will, will do that and not understand that they don't have to. I mean, fuck, they should be paying us for the commute in some places that that takes forever. Yeah. Okay. That would be more of a, a communist socialist definition of it of like, yeah, this is part of your work. So you should have to, but you know, we're not even there. Right. <laughs> don't worry about that one yet. We got fucking child workers again. So, <laughs> Yeah, and, and places will also kind of the reverse of clocking in early or clocking in on time when you were at work early. They'll say, you need to clock out, but you need to get this done. Mm. And so they have to have you. Any of that is work for free, and that's wage theft. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Uh, some places do 
And this is more, I think, a newer phenomenon because of how tipping has traditionally worked. But, you know, tipping in most places is direct and for uh, table service, right? So uh, different establishments, sometimes they will either do tip share or something like that. But the in, in some cases, they have actually cut management in on the <gasps> tipping. That would... Oh, my God. <laughs> they busted some place around here, around DFW, some barbecue uh-huh. place, for doing this. It was to the Holy tune of millions of dollars. Shit. And they just came out and were like, oh, yeah, we didn't know. Sorry. You know? What <laughs> but, the fuck? Uh, they, they apparently had been tip sharing to their managers or, or something. To, That's insane. That. Uh, but one of the things that is a more recent phenomenon is counter service places. Right. So you'll go to your Starbucks, you go to your sandwich shop, whatever. Right. And they'll have the tip jar jar there or they'll accept tips when you do the little cash register thing. Sometimes those are dispersed employees and sometimes they're not. No. Sometimes that shit goes straight to corporate or straight to the franchise owner. Or whatever. I'm gonna like put it in their little apron pocket. Like this is for you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but that has to be cash and increasing. If you, if fewer people have, yeah, you know, I cash don't have available cash. for that. Or yeah. you, know, you want to ask him, can I Venmo this to you or something? You know, <laughs> yeah. What's your Ven- everyone at Star Just put your Venmo on your name tag. Yeah, and oh. so there's there's just a lot of that. You know, with the the breaks not being monitored, or sometimes people will get away with not giving meal breaks at appropriate hour intervals too. All of these things kind of fall under that umbrella of wage theft. Okay. And and listeners, I didn't explain that chart I saw. It's the vast majority of all theft in the United States. It's like, it was over half the graph, if I recall correctly. It's been a while since I've looked at it. Let me pull it up and put it in the chat, because it's, it's the, it, it's it. It's, the, if we got rid of that, we'd get rid of, like, all theft. There you go. <laughs> it is, like, most of it, huh? Minimum wage violations are clocking in at $23.2 billion. Overtime violations at $8.8 billion. And that's in uh, 2018 is when I'm this sure was it's gone published. Up. <laughs> so, yeah, I can't imagine the problem has gotten better considering we're considering <laughs> going not. back to Dickensian times in terms of child labor. <laughs> Let's see. Rest break violations. That's the one you were talking about. Uh, $4 billion. Off the clock violations, three point two billion. In comparison, larceny, five point three. Now I don't know what the difference is between larceny and other types of theft. Uh, well, at least in I don't know if this is actually just Texas or in general, but you'll say this is a grand an, an larceny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like more than five hundred dollars. Okay, so the big heists, yeah, are five point three billion. Your Ocean's Eleven shit. <laughs> <laughs> Burglars when you get into a place and rob them right yeah you have to break in yeah. and you have to break in break, breaking entering and, and stealing <laughs> um 4.1 billion auto theft 3.8 and your run-of-the-mill this is a stick-up robbery it's 0. <laughs> 0.34 billion you know why is because all these millennials don't want to have that human face-to-face interaction that <laughs> robbery requires i have too much social anxiety to become a robber <laughs> talk to someone and, and what if i say the wrong thing or they're like okay the here it is uh, and i say you too you t- <laughs> <laughs> uh, can't deal with oh. it no no you can see my handshake when i hold up the bag 
<laughs> Although I would say face because I would have a mask on. You know? That's true. They won't actually know who you are unless you're a very bad robber. <laughs> so that's wage theft. Okay, thank you. I mean, I knew kind of about it, but not like all the all the permutations. <laughs> well, and the thing you got to think about is all the other types of thefts are carried out by individuals, you know, who have, you know, maybe they're just bad people. But a lot of times it's people who are reaching the end of their rope and are desperate. Yep. Well, I mean, you're really not typically turning to burglary as your first <laughs> your first option. You know, hey, man, I'm not going to need this algebra shit. I'm going to go. The steel I'm cars, be a burglar. You know? <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not. I don't need this. I'm robbing banks. You know, I'm into the grand larceny. <laughs> None of that chump change. No, shit. I'm gonna stick up casinos, <laughs> and that's that's that. I'm gonna be fucking Billy Ocean. It's gonna be great. <laughs> Was that his name? I don't know. I I don't know. I I just said it very confidently. It's not Frank Ocean. That's a musician. <laughs> I haven't. Have you not seen, seen it? the movies? Anyway. It's actually pretty good. And I usually don't like movies where people like it's a general consensus of mostly men being like, it's so good. But that one's actually pretty good. <laughs> yeah. I gotta give it to him. I'll check it out. I'll give a report back on how I liked it okay. next time. We'll open with that. If we remember. <laughs> if we remember. I can write it down if you want. It's the only way I will remember. <laughs> you have one off, you know, individuals desperate right and then in the other hand you have systematic a thing built to do this built to rip people off like industry-wide that's the thing is it's not individual companies doing this usually it's like yeah it's not just one bad manager yeah it's usually like a practice across that corporation or a lot of times across that industry of an observed thing of like oh yeah the labor standards say we should do this but but we don't Right. What is OSHA going to do? OSHA is going to send one of their thousand inspectors that they're split across the entire country. Sorry, is that how many they have? I thought that that was kind of an optimistic estimation. I don't actually know how many they have. <laughs> There's no way. But OSHA has barely anything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can imagine. No idea. Listeners, get back to us if you <laughs> have any OSHA numbers. But my understanding is they don't have very many. If you get inspected by OSHA as a business owner, it's just your, you know, God chose that day for you to get fucked. But otherwise, <laughs> you're, you're, I mean, it's it's typically not expected to happen. There's a lot of shit like that that just relies on lax enforcement, you know, or, or lax, uh, limited number of complaints to where it's it works out business-wise to just do it the way you want to do it. I mean, if you think about it, it's a fear-based thing of like you, the people that are affected are employees and they're not going to risk their jobs. Like you, you are caught in this, this real vice. You are because at the end of the day, no matter how much they try to say capitalism is about freedom. Capitalism is about the yoke of starvation, of poverty, of homelessness. It's a threat. It's yeah, it's, it's all at gunpoint. And the gunpoint is, do you want to be deprived? Do you want your family, your children uh, your loved ones to be suffering because you know your dumbass can't keep a job because you wanted to speak out about oh I need a lunch break oh I need a 15 minute break oh I need basic living working conditions and any human being should be able to demand do you want to be that loser who's kicked out to the street who's everyone suffering because of them or do you want to get your scraps and go home and be happy that's the force and they like to talk about oh communism is where you are are told what to think and what to say and you better keep quiet and you better do what the party says or else 
And communism is the system that houses you, that feeds you, that makes sure that you're secure enough to be confident enough to go out on the factory floor and yell at your boss on yell at your boss day where they come by and say, hey, what's your boss doing wrong? Like, do we need to keep this guy? Do we need to get rid of this guy? The nation, National Labor Union wants to know, like, is this guy doing a good job or not? You know? Yeah. You're encouraged to speak out. It's not this this fucking bullshit pantomime of everyone pretends they like their boss and buys them gifts and shit. Oh, yeah. Ugh. I never do that. I never do that. Me neither. It's <laughs> such a small thing. And it's so petty in the grand scheme of things. But just as a class, I'm just opposed. I'm just like, no, you. I'm never going to do that. <laughs> I don't care if I like you personally. Yeah, you no. might be very nice, but you can afford your own fucking gift basket, I think. Right. You should do this for me. Like, if you, look <laughs> yeah, at our paycheck. Have you considered that? <laughs> uh, oh, upsetting. Something else that operates on those on similar things, right? It says, hey, we can get away with this as long as no one calls us out and very few people are going to call us out is the medical insurance industry. Oh, God. <laughs> I recently changed insurance and it's been it's been a bit of a nightmare. <laughs> insurance is terrible. Just the worst. If you're looking for a way to communicate with and get some empathy from and some kind of inroads with your more reactionary or conservative or moderate even whatever relations, health insurance is one that will bring out whatever shreds of Bolshevism are within a human being. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Because it's, it's so expensive that like 90% of people think it's ridiculous. You know, only the very rich are like, oh, I can afford that, <laughs> you know? The, the, and mm. it's so opaque that that no one, everyone is like, I could be getting fucked over. I have no fucking idea. Yeah, and it's it relies on that to function. So this is a story uh, that I read in ProPublica. I like them. They're great. I recommend them to all listeners. Check them out. They're muckrakers. They don't care. Which, you know, if you're high papa lowworm or low papa hiram, they don't care if you're Republican or Democrat. They, they are U.S. focused, so you're not really going to get a lot of muckraking from other places. But they, they're trying to expose all the bullshit that people are doing. And they're publicly funded or some sort of donation thing or whatever. They're not like a corporation. Yes, yes. And I read this recording day, so maybe there's some reaction to this, hopefully, uh, by publishing day. Uh, but it's a story about Cigna, uh, which they reveal in the course of the story is the company that does the health insurance for ProPublica. <laughs> that was maybe awkward for them, but probably a also little a little bit of internal rage fire going, you know. Probably, yeah. <laughs> uh, someone just looked at their benefit statement and was like, wait a minute. <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah. Uh, the headline is, How Cigna Saves Millions by Having Its Doctors Reject Claims Without Reading Them. Oh wow! Okay, yeah, no, okay. Now I know the name Cigna. I've I've seen those built those uh skyscrapers around. I know those fuckers. Yeah, <laughs> assholes. Uh, there are lots and lots of buildings I would rather not see collapse. Mm -hmm. Parody, parody, parody. <laughs> Dave and Dan, like, where would I get that? Like, I mean, I have no capabilities. <laughs> I don't literally know where the buildings are. <laughs> I'm I'm in the clear. Anyway. The story, you know, they always like to kind of do a human interest sort of like individual thing before 
panning out and saying systematically, right? Some guy went to get a test for a vitamin D deficiency because his doctor was like, hey, maybe it's a vitamin D deficiency. Let's get this test, do the test. Cigna says, we're not going to cover that. That's not medically necessary. But it's always after the fact, right? So it's always like you go do the thing. Because you want to feel better. Right. And then uh, insurance comes back later with a bill saying, here's what you got. Here's what we're covering. Zero dollars. So here's what you owe us. Uh, And (laughs) you're like, what the fuck? Right. Uh, And so that's what they do. And the thing is, this guy that they were focusing on was a doctor himself. Oh. And so he was like, why would you fucking say that? So he contests it, you know, and whatever. And that's where they pan out and say, whoa, this is a widespread thing. The person who declined him, a individual uh, by the name of Dr. Cheryl Dopke. Now, I'm not doxing this person. Their name is in the article. Uh, (laughs) They are the medical director who signed it. That claim was one of roughly 60,000 claims that Dopke had denied in a single month last year. Okay, like math-wise, that's like, what, 2,000 claims you reject a day? If you're looking at all of Cigna doctors, over a period of two months last year, Cigna doctors denied over 300,000 requests for payments (laughs) using this method, spending an average of 1.2 seconds on each case. Oh, my God. Like, how the fuck are you going to know what's medically necessary about any patient in 1.2 seconds? Before health insurers reject claims for medical reasons, company doctors must review them according to insurance laws and regulations in many states. Medical directors are expected to examine patient records, review coverage policies, and use their expertise to decide whether to approve or deny claims. You're telling me you can do these three things? In 1.2 seconds? I can't even read the guy's name and like (laughs) what they're coming in for in that long. (laughs) The thing is that they do these in batches. They don't do any of that shit. And the article goes into great detail to talk about what they actually do. Uh, What they actually do is because is Cigna has a system that bypasses all of that. They don't see any patient records. They don't do any sort of medical judgment. This is according to former company employees familiar with the system, is what ProPublica says. A lot of these people in throughout the story they cite as not wanting to give their identities because they still work uh, with these people. That's pretty fuckers. fucking fair. They have an algorithm. Oh, God, of course. And the algorithm flags mismatches between diagnoses and what the company considers acceptable tests and procedures for those ailments. So okay. anything that doesn't fit that, which is... A lot of shit because a different doctors do different approaches and b uh, the practice of medicine like any science like the immortal science of Marxism Leninism is evolving over time. <laughs> right? It it changes as as you go and more things are learned and that's why we're not doing orthodox Marxism from the beginning. But we've made developments like Leninism and Maoism and different stuff. Right? It's because conditions changed and shit, right? Yes. The same with medical. Yeah. Same thing. They're learning new shit and they're saying, oh, well, actually, and they have journals and conferences and bullshit like this. That's not bullshit. It's actually good. They go and they (laughs) learn new stuff and they're like, oh, damn. Yeah, you want your doctor to be learning. (laughs) Right. 
they're like, well, seems like, you know, patient outcomes are better if we do this versus this, but these guys have this thing built into their algorithm already, and it tells them, do this. If they don't do this, deny them payment of the, of the uh, procedure. This is like the perfect encapsulation of what pretty much every major corporation is trying to do is, is to automate their process through algorithms, which are, one, designed with human bias. So good luck. You're going to end up doing some bad shit. And two, just it, it, by its very nature, an algorithm has no nuance. And like, where do you need that? And definitely in your fucking healthcare. Yeah, because bodies are different, right? This is bodies one of our biggest so emphasis. <laughs> when we were doing the food episodes and stuff, it's like, yeah, that and uh, the fat phobia episodes and stuff is like, people are way different. And even within the medical, the medical community understands this better than lots of people. You know, human medicine, animal medicine. There's one thing uh, Abby got from uh, an older colleague of hers when she first started out, this sort of aphorism of, hey, 30%, it's, it's kind of like a 33% sort of thing. A third of the patients that you get are going to be doomed no matter what you do. They, you, you know, you're, they're gonna come in. You can do everything right. They can die, or they're gonna be worse, or it's, it's, it's not gonna matter. So, yeah, not a good outcome. A third of them are gonna come in, and no matter what you do, right or wrong, they're gonna get better. <laughs> <laughs> they're gonna improve. It's, it's just, it's gonna have me. And then, and then that that last third is dependent on how you do. You'll influence that. <laughs> Sometimes one way you or the can other. figure it out. About a third of the time, you can figure it out. <laughs> it's like. I imagine there's some similar doctor version of this of like people are going to get better, people are going to get worse, or you're going to help them. But like it's it's so varied with the with human with humans. Just I mean, like that's that's like the reason we're not we, we are anatomically modern humans and not like what we were before. And the variant uh, pre proto human shit is because of mutations. Like that's mm-hmm. like what we do as sexually reproducing <laughs> organisms. Like, Science, uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Imagine science marches on. <laughs> technologically, just say, "Here's the algorithm. Here is what you need to meet. If you do not meet this, no." However, I will say it's not just complete scientific ignorance. It's also that we're not focused. That's that's not the goal. Is actually no. Their focus is to save a buck. Yeah, and so if your goal was literally doing good medicine, probably anyone could tell you. Oh, yeah. I mean, don't make an algorithm for that because of all the reasons we've been talking about. But yeah, that's not their goal. Their goal is to maximize the amount of money they can get. And that's what's fucked with our uh, medical system is it's got the wrong goal. And everything in our system is this way. It's got the wrong goal. I mean, like when you sit down to have a nice meal at a place, their goal should not be to make as much money off of you. It should be to like make you have a good experience yeah (laughs) yeah with anything well i mean i'm telling you that this is absolutely the trend of of corporations like banks are going to start doing this kind of i mean they already do they already have algorithms tell them who is a good person to lend to who is not you know who's high risk that's what credit scores are Mm -hmm. um like every company is really investing heavily in machine learning not just to make bad art but also to fuck you over so watch out oh yeah it's sad because these tools could be used to better to produce better medical outcomes, to produce a better life for people. And they're not being used that way because of the same exact ways that, you know, the same exact reasons that the Luddites were doing with it, you know, destroying machines back in the day is because they're in the wrong hands. 
Yeah, I mean, if these, if this massive power was being used to in, in the medical system, say, instead of cross-referencing it with your fucking medieval <laughs> things of what you do and do not cover, what if you cross-reference it with other patient data and, like, figured out correlations between, like, different diseases and, like, autoimmune disorders? And, like, what if you fucking, like, did science? <laughs> yeah. That's the thing, is you could have a dedicated core of, like, half, however many doctors you have out there, you have half that number extra people of just dedicated to medical research. Or I don't know how much we have right now. I'm completely ignorant of the process, I'll be honest. But I mean, it's all propped up by corporations again. <laughs> right, but you would, yeah. If you had this government brigade of medical researchers dedicated to harnessing all the vast computational processes that we developed. The centralized data alone right. is amazing. That would be amazing. It's you just... The the thing we've got to drive home, the thing that you guys know, but maybe lots of people you know can't kind of grasp is, you know, why aren't people doing this? Like, it makes sense. It should be the case. Is it's impossible to do these things under capitalism because capitalism has one goal, to make a profit. Yeah, yeah. Like, any time... Not any time. It depends on what your ideas are. But if you have like what you think is a really great world changing idea or even a very small goal of like, man, I'd love to like open a a really great restaurant that serves really high quality food, but like also pays its staff equitably and blah, 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 blah. Good luck (laughs) because you are going to be incentivized to do the opposite of that. You know, I, I wish I could have some sort of artist community with like a library of things and like free workshops and all this stuff. I, there's no way for me to do that because literally no one would give me a bank loan for that. They'd be like, how are you making money? <laughs> yeah. And a common refrain that you'll get, you know, when you take this argument out on, on the streets, when you take this argument into the living room and you're talking with your parents or you're talking with your family, you're talking with whoever, I think you'll get this counter of, well, come on, but we have a lot of good things. You know, I mean, like, uh, Companies, you know, give people weekends and come not obviously they'll they'll acknowledge exemptions to that, you know, situation. But but they'll say, oh, you know, but we have like uh, public education and we have libraries and we have we have we have some things right. We have those things are being systematically torn apart. First of all, (laughs) (laughs) did you hear about the David statue? (laughs) No. Uh, In Florida, a principal got fired because a parent complained that the statue of David, Michelangelo's David, was shown in class and called it pornographic. (laughs) (laughs) That's where we're at as a society. (laughs) Wow. So, yeah, I don't have a lot of faith in public schools right now. Oh, well, yeah, that's... (laughs) I'm just waiting for those book bans to come in, baby. Well, and Texas is talking about doing vouchers and stuff they're really oh god trying to drive that home although they might not because uh one of the sad few tactics that people have in texas combat school vouchers is by saying what do you want to lose friday night football (laughs) (laughs) i'll take it hell of it works yeah sure (laughs) let's radicalize the football team (laughs) (laughs) 
We'll line them up at the front of our picket line. <laughs> but yeah, one of the things you're going to, you know, encounter is, oh, well, but, you know, capitalism gives us all these good things and we've got a good standard of living and blah, 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 blah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We're the most advanced we've been ever as a, as a society. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, of course, it rings a lot truer if you are, you know, the less working class you are, you know, the, the further up the ladder you are. And if you're in the Imperial Corps. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, the <laughs> night and day. But the thing to understand about anything that's good standard of living wise in the United States or another imperialist country is that it is a scrap given to you not because of a benevolent overlord or a benevolent person who's working to your ultimate redemption or whatever, you know, however you want to characterize them as good. It's given to you despite them not wanting to give it to you because people have fought against them and people have demanded more than that. And that's what they were willing to give you as a compromise, right? As, as like a cast off is like, well, as long as we can continue to make these insane piles of money into bigger piles of money, then yeah, sure. We'll let like give you that scrap. Like We'll let you have that so that, and that's the thing. It's not in spite of, it's not like, you know, oh, we're really sacrificing. It's like, so that we can continue to do our main money-making engine thing, we're going to give you this little cast off so you'll shut up. Yes. Yes. It is a delicate balance of like, okay, how little can I give these people without pissing them off too much so they're revolting in the streets? But also like they, they are incentivized to keep you alive in some way. That's why we do have healthcare in, in some jobs because hiring people is really expensive. And so they're like, okay, well, how can I get incentivized them just enough to stay here, but not enough that I lose money. Right. That's, that's, <laughs> that's reproducing the workforce. That's part of the bare keeping them alive that you have to do. And they over time figured out because ancient societies figured this out. They figured out, oh yeah, you have to pay them enough to keep them alive. You ideally would would give them enough food and everything to make them work, you know, to, to give them the energy to work hard mm -hmm. for you, right? Or to keep them from doing peasant rebellions and shit like that. They figured out too, like, oh, you don't, you, you shouldn't <laughs> just pay them literally the bare minimum because then we would be like all the colonized countries. No, if you want to be able to keep hyper exploiting your colonized countries, then you're going to have to pay your imperial core countries a little bit more than that give them the treats of empire a little you know scraps of it so that you can take most of it, the boons of empire and that way they're on your side and they're like yeah i don't want to improve conditions in lithium mines because then my iphone is going to cost more <laughs> yep it's dark it's dark stuff people wow we're doing a daytime recording so i haven't started drinking yet but Hey, it's five o'clock somewhere. I have, if you haven't noticed. <laughs> I have noticed. <laughs> well, listeners, uh, if you haven't, which you probably have. <laughs> no, no, no. You're probably like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got you. I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh. So to return to the Cygna story, there are some glaring things that just, it just kept feeding me. I was just like mad and getting madder as I read this. It was beautiful and terrible, but whatever. They had the algorithm to tell them, reject or deny. One former Cigna doctor said, we literally click and submit. It takes all of 10 seconds to do 50 at a time. Wow. You ever paid for a medical procedure in part or in full? Then you have the unfortunate 
stature of understanding that getting the bad click here is not a question of tens or usually even hundreds of dollars. It's a lot of money. It's so much. I mean, even if it is, you know, a hundred plus, it's usually on the higher end of it. It's, it's a lot that they fucking will reject you for prescription wise, procedure wise, whatever the fuck wise. It's a lot. The fact of the matter is that they are supposed to have to review your case, a doctor, and they don't. Or that the doctor that they have to sign off on it, well, they're a real doctor, but the doctor that they have to sign off on it is not reviewing your case. No, they're clicking a button. Yeah, they're saying, oh, well, it said it said no, so no. God. It's completely allowed. A former Cigna official said, we thought it might fall into a legal gray zone. We sent the idea to legal and they sent it back saying it was okay. (laughs) They adopted the review system more than a decade ago. But insurance executives say similar systems have existed in various forms throughout the industry. Now, this article is talking about Cigna specifically, but you may have gotten a letter in the mail saying, hey, here's the procedure that this you This isn't had. covered. And the ones, so I've gotten one of these before. Uh, mine came with an explanation. Yes, mine do, mine do too. It says, blah, 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 you know, you got this, we think this should have happened, blah, blah, blah. I, you know, that could also be really easily rigged through something as unsophisticated as a an Excel spreadsheet. It would be. Like, it, would it would be. Just, you could just do SQL on that and have it run it. Like it would. Yeah, that's boilerplate. <laughs> <laughs> no one's typing you a love letter from your no, insurance yeah, company. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. But that's kind of the format that these will come in. And they they cost a lot of fucking money when you get it. But Jesus. like one dude will just do it. So the process that they have, the algorithm and all this, it's called PXDX. That's their like acronym for it. It stands for, let me see if I can find it. Patient. Corporate shorthand for procedure to diagnosis. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, patient. <laughs> like they would be. No, no, there's no this. patients there. <laughs> no. What? What is? What are they? Oh yeah, the people oh, yeah, were the, serving quote unquote the meat boxes. <laughs> <laughs> the cash cows. Mm-hmm. They did get some responses from Cigna. Cigna said its review system was created to, quote, accelerate payments of claims for certain routine screenings. This allows us to automatically approve claims when they are submitted with correct diagnosis codes. Mm, I don't fucking believe that. Cigna's explanation that its review system was designed to approve claims didn't make sense to one former company executive, uh, Ron Harrigan who now runs a company that helps private doctors in disputes with insurance companies. Because, I mean, that's that's kind of the other side of it, too, and, and maybe the more bourgeois concern, but it still does it, the system's not working for them, and so they could be allies in the situation, is doctors who bill insurance companies and then are turned back and, and said, well, no, you're not going to get that money. you got to go to the customer, which is way more of a hassle for them. And so, you know... I don't know, I have a have sort of a blue collar conception of this in that I don't sympathize that much with their <laughs> position necessarily, but I think that we're kind of unfairly pitted against each other because of the system overall, maybe. 
I think so. And I, you know, there's definitely doctors in it for the money, I'm sure. But there's also doctors that genuinely care about their patients and don't want them to be charged bajillions of dollars for these kinds of things. And how many of the doctors that are in that former camp of in it for the money would be in the regular camp if it weren't for the overall system, you know, corrupting them into that? And like how many doctors hesitate to die, to, to prescribe something they think is going to be rejected? Yeah, it it's this Ugh. just... This this weight, just it's just horrible. This terrible cloak of lead that's just like dragging us all down, you know. Oh, that was poetic. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, man, they asked this guy Ron Harrigan about it and says they they were they were paying all these claims before, then they weren't. You're talking about a system built to deny claims. They're saying, oh, yeah, this is to speed things up. But they were doing that before. They were just churning it out. The reason being, the article goes into detail on it, saying before the cost analysis of checking out each and every claim and paying a doctor to go review and say, can you reject this? The math didn't work. Just pay it. But now that you've got an algorithm that will allow you to easily deny it all, now the math works. So now you should just deny it all. Yeah. The the default state is deny. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing. Wow. Wow, 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 wow. It used to be, it said, for lower dollar claims, it was cheaper for Cigna to simply pay the bill. Than, than hire a doctor to go look at it. Right. Wow. So now they can easily do it. And just, oh, bloop, there you go. That's horrifying. Ugh. You want some numbers on this? It's great. Yeah, sure. Speedy reviews. Here we go. So we already mentioned Dopeki, the doctor who turned down the main character of the story, rejected 121,000 claims in the first two months of 2022. According to a scorecard that medical directors receive in the form of a spreadsheet that shows just how fast they have cleared PXDX cases. Oh, God. So they get this monthly. Richard Capic. Another Cigna medical director, potentially a really great person, but here named not doing a really great thing, uh, handled more than 80,000 instant denials in the same time span, according to the spreadsheet. Dr. Paul Rossi has been a medical director at Cigna for over 30 years. Early last year, the physician denied more than 63,000 PXDX claims in two months. None of these three individuals, Rossi, Dopke, or Kapek, responded to attempts to contact them. I mean, there's all there's people behind all those things. Like there's someone not getting something addressed. Something's happening to their human fucking body yeah. and they're just trying to take care of it. Yeah. There's millions of dollars in those rejected claims. Like I'll never forget. I had my gallbladder removed uh, several years ago. Pretty routine surgery. Like shouldn't be that big of a deal. It, it was, you know, a one day thing. I had two insurances at the time because I was still on our parents' insurance mm. and I had my first job. Mm-hmm. And if I hadn't have done that, <laughs> like it barely covered it between t- having two insurances. That's, That's wild. insane. That most people don't have a secondary insurance. That's insane. I don't now. <laughs> no, it's, a, I had a similar situation. I don't know. It's similar in an eye-opening sense because I, had a medication that I had with my teacher's insurance. I roll up in there. I'm like, Hey, doctor prescribed me this, you know? Mm-hmm. And pharmacy says, Hey, do you know that's going to be $900 for a month's supply? 
Wow. I'm like, <laughs> no, I didn't, but well, Doc said I needed it. He's wearing a la- he's wearing a white coat, you know, and <laughs> he seems smart. <laughs> he's, he went to school. And I mean, shit, I, I guess we can, I guess we can afford this. We're in a fairly bourgeois position. I mean, okay, but still, fuck. And so I can, you know, I get home and tell Abby what all this costs and everything. She's like, shit, okay. I mean. If you need it or whatever, you know, and the it luckily this was just before we had the open enrollment next time or whatever, and I switched over to her insurance because I I talked to our mom about it and she's all in the know about all the insurance yes. and, oh, and benefits yeah. and shit like that. <laughs> Get you a mom who works in HR; you can learn a lot. Yeah, oh, <laughs> it's, it's we did the same level. thing. Like just. Talk about, you know, learning shit in an apprenticeship or whatever. She would know it. You know, yeah. It's just on the job, learning all this shit. And she's like, oh, yeah, yeah. TRS benefits, terrible. They they have horrible pharmacy coverage, all, horrible health insurance. Just ditch. I sent her Abby stuff and she's like, oh, yeah, yeah. Get on that. Even if they, because every insurance will jack you up as far as like, oh, your spouse it's going to cost so much to cover. Oh, them. spouses cost so much. But it's ridiculous. She was like, it works. I mean, it's money wise. It's way better c- coverage and stuff. And so I get that. And next time I roll up to, to get the prescription, it costs $25. <laughs> Where the fuck was that other money going to? <laughs> was that just padding somebody's luxurious? That's somebody's like, fucking summer vacation. That's a Scrooge McDuck vault. <laughs> <laughs> it's just wow like what you do in a regular people who have who don't have that that yeah. safety line who don't have that way out like that's oh ridiculous my god it's insane it's insane i switched insurances recently and i found out there's just literally no dermatologist in my network and i was like okay cool <laughs> <laughs> that's fine i guess sometimes my skin is bad but who cares <laughs> hey Ugh. one thing that you have to do though I found this out when I was looking through my health insurance's like portal. Find you a I guy. Hate those portals are the worst. The portals yeah. are out of date. All right. Oh, I got oh, a letter. Really? I got a letter from my former doctor saying, "Hey, uh, actually, from a former doctor's clinic saying, hey, this asshole's not working here anymore. Like he's gone. So you know, you can call us and set. You know, have us send you your shit wherever because he's gone. Yeah. This was more than a year ago." He, motherfucker's still on the same, you know. Oh, oh he's God. in the network or whatever. <laughs> it's like oh still listed God. at the same place. Like they have no idea. They don't care. Like that's not their goal. Their goal Mm-mm. is to make, rake money in. They are not trying to to connect you with the best possible healthcare. That's just not it. No. That's not it. They can say it is however many times in their fucking mission statements and in their rah rah company meetings. That's not it. It's not it. And you 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 another point of resistance you may find. When you're saying, of course, hey, we've got to, you know, find some way to democratize this, find some way to get this out of the market, find some way to what? Have the public run it, right? Through a national health insurance thing, through a national health care situation, or through, you know, a wider revolution in healthcare is part of that, whatever you want it, whatever medium point you want to talk about, right? <laughs> Doesn't matter. When you say that, people are going to say, oh, well, your same incentive problems are going to happen, you know, and people, the medical system is always going to be focusing on cutting these costs and whatever. But at the end of the day, if 
people are in charge of that, regardless of whether it's a national system under still a capitalist government or if it's, you know, part of a socialist project or whatever, they're going to have more of a democratic uh, pressure. So if you're looking like doing an American NHS, and I understand that NHS is under assault. Oof. Yeah, they're going through the ringer. And they have been for decades. That's the thing. It's not just like a, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's been going, it's been kind of under the radar and it's, and it's, it's fever pitch now. Again, like I think about it with transportation, it's just, it's the, or public transportation, it's the dismantlement of socialist projects so we can turn around and say, see, they don't work. Yeah, that's, <laughs> and it's deliberate. But you know, yeah. if you, in, if you are able to successfully introduce those democratic elements or if you're able to do the damn thing and then have people in control of it, those, you know, people administrating the healthcare system are going to answer to the demands of the people primarily and the demands of efficiency secondarily. And they're going to have to respond to people's demands if they're going to want to, if they're going to be able to keep their position. Yeah. And that's the thing, like with, with medical stuff, like, I don't know about you, I fucking hate going to the doctor. It's like the thing I put off for months. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't go and get procedures just for fun. <laughs> I'm not like, oh, you know what oh. I really love is a, is a fucking x-ray. Like, that's, unless you have a very, you know, if you're kind of hypochondriac tendencies, most people aren't just doing that. No, and, and people like to hold that up as a downside of socialized medicine. You think everyone's going to the doctor for fun? Yeah. Oh, everybody has to wait for, you know, you know why people have to wait, you know, in, in Canada and in Britain or whatever people have to wait, they have to wait for a routine procedures, which they can schedule ahead of time. And yeah, you know, lazy good for nothings like you and me. Sure. We'll have to wait unduly because we put off things like an asshole <laughs> and we'll be like, oh, you know, I really wanted an appointment this week, but I don't have one till four months. And it's, you know, if we step back That's and look, kinda my hey, fault. it's totally, yeah, it's me, it's my fault. You know, but but B, the reason that they're having to wait so long is because so many doctors are fucking off with their medical degrees <gasps> to places like to other the United countries. States. Oh, my pay them God. for fee for service and and be lucrative and shit like that. If they didn't have another option, the same way with like global tax cheats and whatever, if they didn't have another option. They would have to pony up. Who the fuck are they going to go to? You know, but that's the re- and, and this is the folly of believing that some capital system is just going to rein in all the excesses for you. And it's like, if if somebody's not being the bad guy in their individual circumstance, someone else will be. You know, some other country's yeah, going to yeah. give them people. Someone else is going to do it. And that's not an excuse to then do it. <laughs> no, it's not. But, like, you can't say, oh, well, we should just institute a global tax regime and whatever. It's like, come on. Everybody's motivation <laughs> is still money, is still profit. How are they going to all of a sudden decide to be saintly and provide for human needs that's not their goal it's something that a lot of people have trouble seeing through i think i I think we're misled a lot into thinking that companies can have purpose behind them and maybe Mm -hmm. you know they can they can put that on their website or whatever but like we have to acknowledge and be mad about what their true intentions are and it's something that we struggle with as communists as socialists as anarchists as whatever stripe you want to be because we have had that veil removed. So it's hard for us to go back and see things how we used to see them. Yeah, yeah, to relate to other people and and <laughs> yeah. pull them in. So I was like, well, why can't you see this? Come on. And they're thinking the exact opposite of like, 
you know, come on, why can't you see that like people are working? You know, it, it's we're we're having this miscommunication that I think they don't really have a hope to get through because they haven't had that veil removed. But we still have a little bit of being in touch with how we used to be, of having that common sense that people had imparted to us, of trying to communicate to people who are still living in that mindset in in a vocabulary and an understanding that meets them where they're at if that makes sense that's more of a teacher term but <laughs> no no totally like the, you you can always look back and remember and and i think like something that does come for me about the movement is its potential to do that and also i think we can often be categorized or stereotyped as as very doom and doom and gloom of like oh you know it's all negative it's it's eat the rich it's the world's ending it's mm-hmm. climate collapse blah 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 but like i really think at the heart of it like we are never we very rarely on this podcast do we blame individuals like we are always blaming the system because we believe that people are inherently good yeah it it is just the system that we have chosen for ourselves incentivizes us to be bad exactly and that's why i think our show you know sympathizes so much with groups like the luddites or with the dickers or with groups who are saying like you're good and the things that we're developing are good and things could be a lot better. Yeah, yeah. Like, I I don't deny that, you know, sure, in some areas of the world, life expectancy is doing a lot better than it has historically. Uh, that's starting to change. <laughs> but I, it could be better. It could be better for everyone, is the thing. I think it's a quite hopeful outlook. Yeah, most, most people in the communist tradition have arrived at some sort of variant thereof of saying, I mean, come on, even Lenin is writing imperialism Mm -hmm. the highest stage of capitalism saying look what capitalism is doing to destroy the periphery right to to just to just latch into these countries and drain them and just suck their blood out and leave them dried husks right and he's he's saying this is terrible what can be done what can people do and he's never like nothing fuck it it's done it's over <laughs> right or mm-hmm. people who are writing about climate catastrophe are never like it's the we're past the point they're they <laughs> usually are like we're pretty close to the point but they're not like we're past <laughs> those numbers the are point. getting smaller <laughs> yeah and even to the extent that they eventually end up telling us because you know if we fail they'll eventually tell us hey we did pass the point but they'll have a new point they'll say this many people will die. What do we do now? If we do nothing, can we reduce that? And that's, you know, ultimately the, the struggle is, can we make a world that is better for more people? Can we make a world that's more just? Can we make a world that focuses on people's needs instead of profit? And you can call it whatever you want. I don't care if you don't actually call it communism or socialism. You want to call it anarchism. You want to call it whatever. Yeah. Yeah. The... Final little section of this article about Cigna talks about they were in 2014 when they're kind of rolling this out nearly 10 years ago by now. uh, They were considering adding a new procedure, automatic nervous system testing, which is used to uh, a patient is suffering from nerve damage caused by various illnesses, autoimmune deficiency sort of things. It's not very involved. It takes about an hour, costs a few hundred dollars a test. At the time, Cigna was already paying for this. 
just tell us you had the test. We pay for it. They didn't bother to look at the patient's files. They just paid for it. The corporate presentation apparently say, says, what is happening now? Pay for all conditions without review. Mm-hmm. Status quo. They added it to the PXDX list. <laughs> Signa officials estimated that the insurer would turn down more than 17,800 claims a year that it had once covered without review. Whoa. Okay. These denials, they, in their own internal corporate presentation, uh, said it would, quote, create a negative customer experience. <laughs> okay. Let me see if this impact present. Oh, it's, 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 it's a fucking PowerPoint. This is beautiful. Fuck yes. Submit it to give you a little banality of evil thing. I'm going to put it in the mm, chat. Yeah, there. yeah. I don't see enough corporate PowerPoints. Give me more. <laughs> oh, it's a, it's a lot of, they go over the testing system. They say, oh, whatever. It's just, it's micro. It's just completely, there's no design to this whatsoever. Oh God. Yeah. It's, it's hideous. <laughs> I've seen these arrows in the bubbles. Oh my gosh. Huh, okay. Yeah. This is but real. The, but the uh, summary of what they say here in the presentation, they would create a negative customer experience. And, quote, a potential for increased out-of-pocket costs, obviously, because you're denying a lot of people coverage. But they said they would save roughly $2.4 million a year in medical costs. So they added it to the list. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, yeah, again, that's the ultimate thing you got to go back to is. They'll do anything. Yeah. It's who owns it. Because, like, if the people own it. They would say that's unacceptable. Right. If we. <laughs> aimed our society if society was built not for profit but for our needs then you wouldn't have a food system that's designed to offload cheap corn products into your body you would have a food system that's instead designed to keep you healthy because that's good for you for people yeah. for everyone and tasty and tasty <laughs> Same with the medical system. You know, it wouldn't be designed to just leech money off of you. It'd be designed to keep you healthy. Isn't that bizarre? You know? Everything from, from housing, you know, your neighborhoods yeah. aren't just the whims of some weird zoning and, you know, really inconvenient for commutes and all this stuff. Like, it could be a place where you want to spend all your time. And that's the thing. And, and as communists, we can sit back and say it's the system. But people will just be mystified. You know, people, they'll publish these stories and they'll say, how does well, this happen? Yeah. Well, let's make gee, a law. We need to. Yeah. We need to prevent people from being jerks like this, but not understanding that the real motivation is in the system itself. Yeah. Yeah. You know? That's the thing. It's not just a couple of bad guys. It, it is an incentivized behavior, like like the OSHA thing we were talking about earlier. Like people are going to get away with what they want to get away with. And it's not because people are bad and we shouldn't trust them and therefore shouldn't give them resources. It's because that's how they are they are brought up in this system. They're they're a wet fucking boot. Mm-hmm. That's the game that they are playing. That they've been taught to play. Okay. I think think that about does it. I'm bummed out, which means I think we're done. <laughs> <laughs> that's how you know. But hey, it's hopeful we can still fuck this shit up. France can yeah, still man. upend their system. We bring oh, on France. the next one. What are we on? The sixth republic now? We need it. Whatever republic you're on, you need to go to the next one. Come on, this move one on. This one fucked. Yeah. Next Get one. Get a new flag. Come on. You can keep the same flag. That's fine. Keep, but the, it's, a, it's a sick flag. A new constitution, the People's Republic of France. Come on. Mm -hmm. Bring it about. Let's do it. 
because we're not doing shit here. So <laughs> we have yeah, that strike action. That was pretty good. Let's see more of it. Come on. I mean, yeah, for real. People need to catch on. The the, the paras, man, the para professionals, what they call them, uh, the teachers' aides and stuff that come in and and they work. They're working with students one on one, doing all this shit. That's a lot of fucking work, and those guys get they paid get paid shit. shit. Oh my god, it's, it's horrible. So I mean, yeah. I hope. Maybe I maybe I should print off a few of these articles and drop them someplace. Give me oops, <laughs> oh weird. shit, I fell and here they all are. I'm not gonna pick these up and I just walk off. <laughs> just become a very clumsy nerd. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he just falls all the time. <laughs> yeah, that's a new variety of radical uh, you know, salters, you know, salting their workplaces mm, for you. Yeah, yeah. But like just clumsy. Clumsy <laughs> motherfuckers. That's that's what we need. We need more Marks and Lennas uh, and clumsyism. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> what are we doing next week? Next week we're gonna talk about Trotskyism. Oh, that guy. I need to go really listen to his bio so I remember what his deal is. What is yeah, what his main stuff was. We're gonna focus more theoretically what he argued for. Yeah, what were his ideas? Well, yeah, we focused in on kind of his life and the turbulent times and like the arguments he got into, which kind of aligns with his ideas but now we're going to focus more on those ideas and what people have done with them too to to consider themselves you know trotskyists and what that means and that sort of exciting yeah so more of a theory episode for you theory heads out there (laughs) we're getting to it there are dozens of you dozens i'm sure i'm sure (laughs) quite the coalition all right uh comrades stay strong Yes, stay strong, stay angry, stay hopeful. Yeah. Don't bomb anything, Dave and Dan. <laughs> don't bomb, yeah, don't don't bomb do that. anything. Anyone trying to sell you explosives is a fed. Definitely. Uh, but otherwise, back the party, back the workers, all that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> See all right. you next time. Bye. Bye. Hey there, comrades. Just jumping in to remind you of all of our social media. We are on Twitter at Teach Communism, Instagram at Teach Me Communism. You can shoot us an email. That's teachmecommunism at gmail.com. Any of those places are good to send us an episode suggestion or a question, anything you think would be useful feedback for us or just your admiration. If you want to admire us in a public manner, and you should, you can go to Apple Podcasts to give us a review. It is the best way to help people find the show. Love when people write and review us. Please do both. We are also on YouTube if that's how you prefer to listen to podcasts, or if you know someone that's the only way they'll listen to podcasts, send them to our page. And we have a Patreon. For five bucks a month, you get access to our notes for each week's episode, including the backlog of notes, which is a very handy resource for up-and-coming commies. And at the end of the year, all of the funds from Patreon will be given to local mutual aid in the DFW area. So, ain't going to line our pockets. Finally, we have merch. Check us out at Tee Public. You can find shirts and I believe also stickers and magnets and all kinds of fun stuff with catchphrases from the show or episode art, stuff like that. The link to that store is in the show notes, so check that out. Okay, that's all the internet. Join us next time for another episode of Teach Me Communism, where the class struggle is always in session. Bye, y'all.